word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness but the darkness has not overcome it. On Easter Sunday morning several of our pastors in a country in Asia were dragged out of their churches and beaten in the street. But in that same country At a pre-Easter Mela, over 5,000 people gave their hearts to Christ. And then, uh, just a little bit later, during their Easter Mela, 10,000 people gave their hearts to Christ. Can you imagine? I mean, on the day of Pentecost, it was 3,000 people were saved. In this country, in just a few weeks' time, 15,000 people came to Christ. And I know that they had a post-Easter melee that followed that, and we haven't even heard yet how many people have come to Christ during that. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. They may be dragging our pastors out in the street and beating them, but thousands and thousands of people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. In that same country, in one state in that country, if uh, you baptize someone, as Jared mentioned to us, the, the penalty for that is five years in prison. One of our country leaders baptized 37 people last year. That's a long prison sentence, you know, five years for everyone you baptize. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. In the Middle East, on Easter Sunday morning, the secret police came to one of our churches. It's illegal in that country for Muslims to attend a Christian church. You have an ID in that country. It's either stamped Muslim or Christian. And if you're a Christian, you can go to a Christian church. If you're Muslim, you can go to a mosque, but you're not supposed to cross over. Well, over 50% of our congregation that morning in our church in that city was Muslim. They had Muslim IDs. And so the secret police came in. After that service, our pastor was called in by the secret police on three successive days for interrogation. On the second day, they stoned his car. All the windows were broken out. Our area director asked him, so what did you do when the secret police came into your church? He said, I told them the Easter story. Those people need to know about Jesus. And that's how our leaders are around the world. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. In Latin America, in the country that uh, has the most oppressive government, where some prisoner was just released yesterday, that's the very country in South America where we are sending the most missionaries from. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. In Europe, 20 years ago, uh, we had um, eight leaders. I was, Jan and I were there this past November where 150 national leaders gathered in Europe. Can you imagine the growth that's happened in this hard soil of Europe? And last spring, a strategic decision was made uh, between Southern Europe area director Josh Fajardo and European area director Dale and a missionary from the Middle East was assigned to Spain to reach refugees living in Germany I mean only the Holy Spirit can orchestrate those kinds of things this past November Jan and I uh, volunteered uh, 
one afternoon at a refugee center in Thessaloniki, where by some miracle, I had a conversation with a this guy from Lebanon that I befriended. I mean, I just sat down and had coffee. And I could tell you my Arabic vocabulary doesn't include a single word. I don't know a single word of Arabic. And this guy knew, knew about 20 words of English. And can you? And we sat together for about two hours uh, trying to communicate, just trying to. And here's what I got from the conversation. I was raised Muslim, but I'm disappointed. I'm disenchanted. I want to know Jesus. So I introduced him to our missionary, uh, Michael Long, who pastors our church there in Thessaloniki. About a week later, uh, Michael sent me an email and told me that Mumos had accepted Jesus as a savior and wanted wanted to be baptized. Some of our converts in the Middle East are actually saying, I thank God for ISIS. Because if I hadn't lost everything... I would not have come to know Jesus. The air conditioning's not working just right. Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Around the world, our strategy is to get in, make disciples, develop holistic ministry, train leaders, and then get out with indigenous leadership in place. And it happens with your help. Your help is so vital to make that happen. You know, we can say, well, what can you do? I've got, I've got cards out on the table out there, and they, they say, here's what you could do for $100 a month, or here's what you could do for $300 a month. You know, for $100 a month in Thailand, you can support a church planter for an entire year? That's 12, that, the annual salary that he gets paid is $1,200. Uh, you can either do that, or you could buy a latte every day. It's about the same money. Now I'm meddling, aren't I? But where we choose to invest makes a huge difference in the world. And sometimes if we just take just a small step, we can make a huge investment in other parts of the world. You are vitally important to the ongoing work of the kingdom worldwide. Let me uh, turn our attention to the word of the Lord as found in Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locust and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. 
We know John the Baptist was this amazing guy. You remember his birth was quite miraculous. Um, He was born to Zechariah and Elizabeth, who were well past childbearing years. The angel Gabriel had appeared to Zechariah when Zechariah was on duty at the temple and gave him the news that Elizabeth was going to bear him a son. It was even gender specific and that he was to give him the name John. Now you might remember Zechariah's response. How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Did you notice what a wise man Zechariah was? He called himself an old man, but he didn't call his wife an old woman. (laughs) Now Gabriel's response was, you will not be able to speak until the day this happens. Well, Zechariah couldn't speak, and Elizabeth got pregnant. I don't know if that's cause and effect or not. But about six months ahead of the time when Mary, the mother of Jesus, was to give birth, she went to visit her cousin Elizabeth, and John leapt inside of Elizabeth's womb. I mean, John leapt at the sound of Mary's voice, and John was born, and Zechariah could speak again. We, we don't know more, much more about John's early life, except that he grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. When he was grown, he went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. I want you to latch on to that. John went around the country, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's what John did. Now that was John's baptism. A baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That was how he prepared the way for the Lord to make his paths straight. Zechariah had promised, prophesied that about him at his circumcision. He said, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Now we know John was an amazing guy. He wasn't afraid to confront King Herod. Remember he told Herod, you're not supposed to be married to that woman. You took her from your brother. He wasn't afraid to confront the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He called them a bunch of snakes. And when, when Jesus asked the chief priest and the elders of the people to tell him where John's baptism came from, They couldn't answer him because even the Pharisees and the Sadducees held John in high esteem. They reasoned, they said, well, we can't can't say that John's baptism was from heaven because if we say that, then Jesus is going to say, then why don't you believe him? But we can't say that it's from men either. It's our human origin because if we do that, we know that all the people hold John to be the prophet and we'll be in trouble. Now, Jesus said this of John. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now we know that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. When the creator of the universe says, you're the greatest person that was ever born, That's a significant compliment. We shouldn't miss that at all. 
when Jesus is coming down from the mountain, he'd taken Peter, James, and John up on the mountain, and there appeared with him Moses and Elijah. And the disciples ask him, well, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus said, to be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things, but I tell you, Elijah has already come. And they didn't recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished in the same way the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking about John the Baptist. I mean, Jesus puts John the Baptist way up here somewhere, right? I mean, he equates him with Elijah. He says, of all those born of women, this includes Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Elijah, Elisha, John the Baptist is greater than them. John was an amazing guy. But here's what John says about Jesus. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who's more powerful than I, the sandals whom I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The greatest man that ever lived says of Jesus, I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. And understand the comparison that John made. I baptize you with water for repentance. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now the disciples didn't miss this. In fact, they keep referring to it. Remember, some of Jesus' disciples were disciples of John before they were disciples of Jesus. And after Jesus was resurrected on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Even after Jesus has been raised from the dead, Jesus is still talking about John. And the difference between John's baptism and Jesus' baptism. John's baptism was with water for repentance and for the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus' baptism is with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now you remember the day of Pentecost. They seemed what? They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they didn't need to speak in other tongues so that people could understand the message because everyone gathered in Jerusalem knew at least three languages. They would have known Greek, they would have known Hebrew and they would have known their own native language. In fact, when Peter got up to speak, it says nothing about the fact that Peter spoke in other languages. He probably spoke in Hebrew and Aramaic because these are all followers of Moses. They are all followers of God. They would have known that language. They would have had that language in common. But at the close of Peter's sermon, he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You remember when... Peter was invited to Cornelius' house. It took a while for Peter to get there because Peter had been around doing some miracles and healing some people and ended over in a place named uh, in uh, Simon the Tanner's house in Joppa. And so an angel appeared to Cornelius and said, send for Simon called Peter. He's at Simon the Tanner's house in Joppa. So Peter was at Simon's house. He was up on the roof. 
And he had this dream that the sheet was being lowered down from heaven and it was filled with all kinds of four-footed birds, animals, and reptiles, unclean animals. And the voice said to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And he said, no way, Lord, I'm never going to eat that stuff. I am kosher as kosher can be. I mean, I am Jew through and through. I am not going to eat unclean stuff. And the voice said, Peter, don't you call unclean what I've called clean. And he did it three times because Peter's the guy who needs it three times to get it. I mean, he just needs things done three times in order to understand it. And Peter gets it. And so when the men from Cornelius' house come to Simon the Tanner's house, knock on the door, they find Peter. And Peter said, what do you want? Well, you know, Cornelius sent us here. And Peter's immediate response was, I can go with you because God has told me not to call unclean what he's called clean. I can go. I can do it. And so Peter goes to Cornelius' house. He gets to Cornelius' house and Cornelius starts to bow down and worship him. Peter says, get up. I'm only a man just like you are. Uh, tell me, why have you sent for me? And he said, well, I had this angel that you know, showed me and Peter. Peter began to unpack the message of the gospel to him. And while Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter from Simon's house were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on these Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of them being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So we ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked Peter to stay with them a few days. Well, Peter wasn't even supposed to go into their house because he was a Jew and they were Gentiles and Jews aren't allowed in to go into the Gentile house, but Peter has learned from the Holy Spirit that I'm not supposed to call things unclean, that God has called clean, so he goes and stay with him for a few days. Well, the word gets back to Jerusalem that Peter has gone in to the house of a Gentile, and they say, Peter, no, 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 you don't understand, we can't give up on this Jewish thing. We've got laws, we've got regulations, we've got things that we've got to watch over, we've got to do. And Peter says, ah, I've got to tell you what happened. And he tells them the story. He unpacks the story about his dream and, and what happened with Cornelius in his dream and how they came together. And he says, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift that he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I be able to stand in the way of God. Now here we are clear in Acts 11 and they're still talking about John the Baptist and the difference between John's baptism and Jesus' baptism. Now you might remember later on in the story of Acts uh, there was this Jew named Apollos, a native at Alexandria. He came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in their synagogue when Priscilla and Aquila heard him. They invited him to their home and explained the way of God to him more adequately. There was something lacking in the teaching of Apollos. Because he only knew the baptism of John. What's the baptism of John? Water, baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism do you receive? John's baptism. 
What other baptism is there? And Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And while Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. I mean, it seems that this baptism of Jesus is a pretty significant thing in the life of the disciples because when it comes down, clear we are, clear to Acts 19 and we're still finding them to, uh, delineating the difference between the baptism of John and the baptism of Jesus. Under John, it's, under, it's obvious that the disciples understood the difference between these two baptisms. Under John's baptism, they received the forgiveness of sins through repentance. Under Jesus' baptism, they received the power to communicate the gospel to the ends of the earth. I mean, that is, after all, what Jesus promised them, Right? On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You know, after 30-plus years of pastoral ministry, you know what I've come to realize in America is that most people are still living under the baptism of John. They're pretty good with this baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And it expresses, it, it expresses itself in this kind of, I got my ticket kind of mentality. I'm secure, I'm going to heaven, and that's all that matters. If that's all that matters, we don't need Jesus, we just need the preaching of John. You see, something tremendously more matters because Jesus commanded his disciples, go into the world and make disciples of all nations. God didn't call us just to remain here, to stay here, but to spread out through the whole world. In fact, when he was teaching his disciples to pray, he said, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you know what? Most people are content to pray these days. Not the Lord's Prayer, but the American Prayer. Lord, just keep us safe till Jesus comes back. You know, Jesus really wasn't all that interested in safety and security. Because he told his disciples to go where? He told his disciples to go to Jerusalem. You know what the most dangerous place in the world for them was? Jerusalem. You know, for the disciples, Jerusalem was not home. And when Jesus says to go to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, he didn't say go to Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. He says, and. It's always in coordination. And so we're sent not just to Wichita. We have a special call to Wichita here, but Wichita is called to the ends of the earth. Wichita is called to the ends of the earth. I want to ask you a question. Have you received the baptism of Jesus? Have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire? I mean, listen to how John describes it. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Notice, it's, it's his winnowing fork, his hand, his threshing floor, his wheat. So the first question is, are we his? Have we released possession of everything to him? 
If there's a lack of power, if there's a lack of boldness, if there's a lack of effectiveness in our lives, it might be because we're not filled with the Holy Spirit of Jesus. You see, the passion for us to reach the world is not in the need of the world. And sometimes we, we sit here in America, we've got things good, and we think, oh man, things are horrible in the rest of the world. You know, in 1980, one out of two people lived in abject poverty in the world. That's less than $1.90 a day. You know, by 2010, it's one in five. We can take care of this world poverty thing. We don't even need Jesus for that. Does it make you uncomfortable for me to say that? I mean, the statistics are there. They're the World Bank, USA. There are organizations that are working on this. And the goal is to take care of world poverty by 2030. And we're ahead of schedule. But what we need to do, what drives us and motivates us is not the need of the world, but being filled with the presence of Jesus. That's where we get our passion. That's what motivates us. And then John says, he'll burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now my question to us is, is there still chaff? You know, chaff, you guys know about chaff, right? This is Kansas. You know about chaff. That unusable stuff. You know about chaff in our own lives, right? The stuff that hangs on. It shouldn't be there. should be burned up, but it's not. I'll just get real personal with you. Since... Superintendent Bruce talked about vulnerability. I'll open up some vulnerability with you. When I was a young man, I had an anger problem. And it mostly uh, showed itself when I was playing sports. In fact, when I was in college, I was the director of religious life for Greenville College, and I was getting kicked out of basketball games for too many technical fouls because I had such an anger problem called into ministry, leading the religious life of the college and had this anger problem. Went to seminary. It's a good place to go. And you know, something happened in Wilmore. The holy presence of the holy city came on me and I didn't have an anger problem anymore. And I got married, didn't have an anger problem. And then I had children. <laughs> oh my goodness. The first time it rose up, I had a box of Cheerios in my hand and then hit the table. Cheerios went all over the room. I just walked out of the house. I was so embarrassed. There was something deep in my heart. And I had some incidents later where I ran my fist through a wall and knocked a hole in a door with my fist. I was an ordained elder in the church. I was a pastor. I was, I was leading ministries. And I tell you, I was about just totally defeated over that. I was pastoring in St. Louis at the time. I was in Interstate 70 driving toward the airport. And I was just beating myself up about it. And I said, God, I can't get over this. And God said, Jerry, I can take care of that if you want me to. And I just sat in the car and said, would you do that, please? I didn't even tell anybody about that for 12 years after that moment where God healed me in anger. I got a, a full disclosure here. I started, I started preaching and teaching. I was in the middle of a message one time and the Lord said, tell them how I healed you of your anger. And I hadn't told anybody yet. And I said, Lord, that's getting pretty personal. 
So I told it, you know, and as I began to tell the story, some other people began to find healing. Long time after that, I was director of communications for the Free Methodist Church. We were getting ready to move back to Decatur, Illinois, a church where my father pastored, my grandfather had pastored, and now I was going to be the pastor of that church. I had an outburst of anger. Jan probably remembers me sitting by the bed just weeping because I thought I had been healed. But you know what had happened? I went from a place of total dependency on God to an independent relationship. And as soon as I crossed that line, the Lord just said, here's what you're like without me, boy. And I had to submit, I had to, you know, here's what I found out. You know how I want the Holy Spirit to come and work? You know how I want the fire to fall? I want it to fall right now and just cleanse me and be done with it. I want microwave work. But you know what I found out? God loves the crock pot. He just likes to put me on the slow cook. And he burns up the chaff with unquenchable fire. When Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? The greatest man that ever lived need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. How about you? Charles Wesley knew of this fiery presence of God and knew it to be the end of his struggle. He wrote, My God, I know I feel thee mine and will not quit my claim till all I have is lost in thine and all renewed I am. I hold thee with a trembling hand and will not let thee go till steadfastly by faith I stand and all thy goodness know. When shall I see the welcome hour that plants my God in me? Spirit of health and life and power and perfect liberty. Jesus, thine all-victorious love, shed in my heart abroad. Then shall my feet no longer rove, rooted and fixed in God. Love only can the conquest win, the strength of sin subdue, mine own unconquerable sin, and form my soul anew. Love can bow down the stubborn neck, the stone of flesh to convert, soften and melt and pierce and break an adamantine heart. Oh, that in me the sacred fire might now begin to glow, burn up the dross of base desire, and make the mountains flow oh that it now from heaven might fall and all my sins consume come holy ghost for thee i call spirit of burning come refining fire go through my heart illuminate my soul scatter thy life through every part and make and sanctify the whole no longer than my heart shall mourn while purified by grace I only for his glory burn and always see his face my steadfast soul from falling free shall then no longer move but Christ be all the world to me and all my heart be love how do you know if you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire when you are consumed by love. When you reach outside of yourself and what is comfortable to share the love of Jesus. Augustine and Luther shared a common definition of sin. In Latin, it's incurvitus and se, which means a heart turned in upon itself. 
You know, in a marriage relationship, you know what would destroy that marriage relationship is when you got two people who have their hearts turned in upon themselves. That marriage will not last. You know what really de- destroys any relationship at any level is when we get curved in upon ourselves. And when Jesus gave the great commission, <laughs> go into all the world and preach the gospel. He was telling the disciples, don't get curved in upon yourselves. When you get curved in upon yourself, you're moving the opposite direction of love. Father in heaven, thank you for your word for us today. Lord, we pray that you would help us to live in such a way that we're not focused in upon ourselves or upon our own strength or our own power or the things that we can do. But that we'll get so focused on Jesus, so full of the Holy Spirit, so baptized by fire that we'll move into the world in new and creative ways and see your kingdom come and your will done on earth just like it is in heaven. We want to we line up with your vision. We want to walk as you want us to walk. And Father, even this morning as we're singing this song, maybe you want to come down on us. And we just invite you. We say with Charles Wesley, spirit of burning, come. Burn up that dross of base desire. All my sins consume. Come, Holy Ghost, for thee I call. Spirit of burning, come. We ask all this in the powerful name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.